Hello, and welcome back once again to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, my guest is Amelia Taylor. She's a RevOps leader who helps companies build strong foundations to scale and grow. She's currently driving sales within the Carabiner Group, and she's a huge advocate for women in sales, and she trains and coaches SDRs to leverage their EQ and their IQ. So, Amelia, welcome. Thank you, Marcus. I could not, could not be more thrilled to be a part of this, to join you, and just talk. Learn more about you, learn more about what we can come up with. Fantastic. Would you mind giving the audience 60 seconds on your history, please? Absolutely. So I started out in sales as an SDR, not even knowing what the acronym meant. I jumped in to a SDR role about four or five years ago. And I went in and decided, all right, I'm going to get this job. Didn't really know what I was doing. Jumped in and first day went straight to leadership and said, who's the person that has to beat for the most meetings that have been held and set for the very first day, for the first week, for the month? Because I'm such a, I want to challenge everything. I want to make sure that I'm I'm doing the best, but I'm, I'm challenging myself. I'm going against what everybody else says that you can or can't do. You know, I want to make sure that I'm going to stand out and I'm going to say and do what I'm going to do. <laughs> so I ended up putting a cap on the whole SDR team after my first month when it was uncapped because I did three times what I was actually supposed to do, supposed to quote unquote. And it was where I said, okay, I'm pretty damn good at this. So I'm going to advance a bit more. So I was in a lot of growth. So then I jumped into another STL role. Um, and then I decided to make my own role, actually, which was more of a hybrid role, figuring out that, all right, sales and marketing aren't talking right now. How do I make them talk? So marketing couldn't stand me. Sales was kind of like, what are you doing? And leadership just ran with it a little bit. But nothing changed because no one wanted to It just understand that there needed to be changes to happen. No one wanted to deal with that. So I'm trying to bridge these gaps. And so I... That's kind of where I got to today because I didn't realize I was doing revenue operations type of work when I was with trying to bridge things that weren't working. So, but I'm in Tampa, Florida. I am a mother of two little girls, and that's my why. I want to set out to prove every single day that I can do more than I say that I can. I discovered a few weeks ago that I was the third or fourth monkey to have randomly written shapes. Shakespeare's entire works through random typing um, because I came up with this fantastic idea. And then as soon as I started talking to people, said, oh, you should read this book and you should read that book. And I was really pissed off, if I can be perfectly honest, to begin with. And then I thought, well, you just saved me probably about two or three years of research uh, so I can build right. up what you've already done. So I'm quite grateful to be the fourth monkey, but I, I, I do that. get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell me this, let's start out with women in sales. Why is there not in, uh, more balance in uh, the sales profession generally, and in particular in sales management and leadership? Yeah, I think a lot of women find it to be a bro culture. I think that there's a lot of men in these leadership positions or these C-suite roles are sitting on their throne, and it's where these women think, I don't even want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with you guys because literally you're going to look down on me whether I'm sitting on the throne next to you or not. I personally have not been burnt to the extent where some women have been where, say, their counterpart who they are 
it's same role, same everything. They're getting paid double what this, you know, individual is getting this, getting paid this woman. Mm-hmm. And so there's stories like that, that I'm thinking, holy shit, this is awful. But I haven't experienced that. But I, and I choose to never experience that. I, I need everything disclosed first and foremost, because I do know that that is such a well-known topic right now. I mean, if I get tagged in one more thing about women in sales and, you know, who are the women to follow in sales, I think I might lose my mind. <laughs> but it has become such a big topic because there aren't the leaders. And truthfully, I think it's because men just will push. But not all men. Let me clarify. Not all men. But a lot of men in these, these levels and positions, they will not look at women as having the mindset or the emotional capability to take on a leadership role. So mm-hmm. there's this scare almost. Or there's okay. the opposite, well, too. Okay, well, let, let, let's pretend that there's some veracity in that uh, holy horseshit claim. Let's pretend there is. There must be a reason why male leadership chooses to not pick from at least 50% of the population and get an alternate perspective. It strikes me as an act of gross misconduct and negligence right. to do that. Mm-hmm. It does. And I want to say it's pride completely that there's not a, I don't want someone stealing what I have come up with, or I don't want to be seen as a male who this woman has this better idea that I have or mm-hmm. able to accomplish what I can accomplish. I think there's a plethora of things. I think that's just one that kind of comes to mind and that pride is the I mean, it's one of the worst things that you could possibly have. Do all salespeople have it? Absolutely. And does it take acknowledgement and self-reflection to understand, okay, I need to set this down, even an ounce of it to be able to be better because it's not like these women are going to make people better or worse, you know, if going into the leadership roles. Truly, I don't know why more people aren't open to it. I get the sense that there is an element of ego and a, a sense that uh, some, something is being threatened. But the more I cooperate with people and the less attachment that I have to the outcome, my piece of the pie and all of that, the more the pie grows, yeah. the bigger my piece gets and the less right. effort I have to make. I'm really looking forward to someone that uh, someone you and I know, Amir Kadri, uh, put me in touch with mm-hmm. uh, Catherine Reed, because mm-hmm. I'm looking at the big picture and I'm thinking China's on the ascendant and there is nothing we can do about it. All the economic indicators suggest that they will continue to grow yeah. and they are a dominant force. And um, the US at the same time is on the decline. Now, yeah. it doesn't serve China. Yep. To have a weak U- uh, U.S. economy because you're a massive market. There are 437 million of you guys buying Chinese products, um, and the Chinese government wants to increase the wealth of the Chinese population because it means that they don't end up being overthrown. So, how do we get both sides to get the win? And you know, I- I'm thinking you know, it- it at a smaller scale. Why are we not thinking the same way in terms of our competitive landscape? Why are we not thinking? How can we work with our competitors who are really good right. at what they do 
and maybe yeah. something better that the two of us can bring to the customer. God, you're nailing it 100%. I mean, I had this conversation, this is going off a little bit. I had the same conversation with a competitor of mine the other day. We both came up with this plan of how we can work together on this one thing that we are trying to face. I reached out to him and said, hey, what are your thoughts on this? Because there's ways to work together in the competitor space to do better for customers because mm-hmm. selling is helping. Selling is, that's going to be the core thing. You're, if you're not helping, if you're, you're out for your own good, then go kick rocks. Like there's nothing you're going to be doing. You're not, that money's not coming in, right? Yeah. So going back to the question in and of itself, there's a difference between being an ally for women in sales and being, you know, having this. Yes, 100%. I mean, there's there's a difference. For example, on International Women's Day, there were posts galore that went out on LinkedIn with, here are these women to follow or let's support women in sales, hashtag International Women's Day. Drew, totally just threw me off, drove me nuts because I thought, all right, well, it is great to speak up for one day, but why are we not doing this year round? And who's keeping who accountable for whatever they're saying they're going to do? You see the same kind of surface level uh, greenwashing, if you like, uh, with yeah. e and I, because you hire people of color or uh, of different orientation because you want to tick the diversity box, but you fire them for not fitting in. You make it yeah. impossible for them to stay. So I think we really need to uh, have a root and branch rethink about what makes great leadership, great makes great management, what makes great salespeople, great marketing. And we've got to start thinking differently because we, we are heading for the worst economic conditions we have ever faced. And I, this is my fourth, uh, sorry, this is my fifth recession. And I'm only 50 and a bit. And 49. Yeah, 49. (laughs) What struck me is that we always make it through. And whilst there is a huge amount of hardship, the reality is how you respond to those situations largely determines your ability to take action and to make good decisions or bad decisions. Now, again, what's really interesting is having a very diverse range of eyes on the problem means you end up with much more robust, effective, sustainable solutions that um, are more elegant and tend to work for longer because you know, the kinks have been ironed out. Right. And this, is, this has to be a massive argument for having more women in sales, more women in management, and more women in leadership, and in engineering and everything. Yeah. I mean, there's women who... I'll speak for myself. I'm a single mother. And I had to get out of a marriage that was failing. And I found myself in a really bad position where I was very blindsided by a lot of things that I was very naive about. And I was young. I did not realize a lot was going on in my life. And because I, I thought that I had this dream of, okay, this is how my life goes. Let's get married, have babies, boom, 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 have the white picket fence. That's what life is, right? That's the dream. No, it wasn't. It was never my dream. I thought it was. I always have been a super independent person to where if I write it down and I say, I'm going to do it, then I'm going to find a way to do it. And I'm going to make it through. And I, I've always resorted back to the everything is figureoutable. 
everything is figure outable in some way, shape, or form. So I think women have this mindset too of, and I, I say women in such a general term, but I, I, I don't think this speaks for everyone, but I do know that there are a group of women who truly, truly think the way I do when it comes to everything is figure outable. Let's not panic. Let's not throw a bunch of tools into the tech stack and whatnot, you know, and just say like free for all salespeople go have at it or growth equals let's had a shit ton of sales reps and that's let's call it growth and call it a day. You know, there's the whole, let's go deeper into all of it. Let's figure out what's working, what's not working. Let's analyze. Let's really get to the root and the core of things and take our time to do so. I'm not a patient person. So I don't necessarily want to do all of those kind of things to figure that out. But I'll do that for other people's companies because that's what I'm good at. I'm good at talking. I know how to talk to people. I know how to listen to people and respond based off what they're saying. So there's the emotional portion and there's also the analytical portion, I think, to play into that. So that's what you're talking about where you're leveraging EQ and IQ. Right. A lot of the how to read the room. I feel like common sense is so uncommon these days. In fairness, it's never been that common. Never has. You're right. Certainly not in my lifetime um, and certainly not around me. You're right. (laughs) <laughs> because it's not, you know, I can say these days, but really you're right. It, when has it ever been common? Because those who challenge the status quo and whatnot, those are the ones who are doing the common sense thing. No, those are people just genuinely doing the right things and do, challenging things and making shit happen. I have a meaty question for you, and you may not have the answer, but... Mm-hmm. As a woman in sales, what seems impossible that if we could crack it, we could that would change everything? That is a meaty question. That is a large question because I think there's so many things that need to be cracked. Truly, if I'm going to pick one thing, it's going to be that really whatever you're doing whatever your sole purpose is, what your day job is, how you're making money, how you're feeding your family, whatever it is that you're doing, that intentions are actually going to be pure. I don't think that's something that can be necessarily fixed. I think that's just the human race being not good. (laughs) I think people genuinely, I want to believe people are genuinely good at their very core. But I also have seen firsthand people who have completely going back to the blind side thing blindsided people in ways that it just is like are you kidding me you can't go do things on your own or trying to find the cheat system the workaround the easy way and then jump ship let me go figure out what's the simple way how can i get ahead of everybody else and not share my findings or whatever it is let me figure out how to do and and this is really interesting because I'm seeing that there are certain types of salespeople who have that lone wolf, individual contributor, win at any cost, who have been elevated and put on a pedestal for a long time. But actually, that's fine in a transactional environment as long as you don't care about the long-term relationship with that customer. Yep. 
And there are plenty of salespeople out there selling stuff that can be sold that way. In your experience, are those the ones that customers refer, come back to, people want to work with? Absolutely not. None of it. I've had people come to me saying, I'm not going to work with your colleague based off X, Y, Z. But I know you well enough to know that I can trust you based off of XYZ told me I can. And I work with them. So, you know, there's that aspect of it that's very, it's interesting too. So tell me this then. If you're good at playing nicely with others, you're open to sharing your toys, you are honest, you're transparent. How much of your business actually is generated purely cold versus how much of your business is generated hot? Purely cold, I would say 10%. I mean, all 90% of my stuff is honestly, it is coming through Slack channels, LinkedIn, through social selling, through helping, jumping on calls just to be a soundboard for people. But you're way under target, aren't you? I just started, so I'm not under target. I'm actually right on target, which is great. Um, I, I went through a walkthrough yesterday. You, you and mean I'm really in a new excited. job, in a new job, you're actually able to build a warm pipeline by going back to yeah. people you already know. Good Lord. Absolutely. What, um, Absolutely. That was one of the reasons I was hired. Well, I don't know. And it's so crazy. I mean, I, I spoke to a teacher, a transitioning teacher yesterday, who is going to be done after this year. And she wanted to go travel for the summer. I said, hell, if you can go do it, go do it. Good for you. And she said, I, I have this amazing opportunity with this amazing company, this consulting firm that I truly believe in. And I believe in what I can bring to the table, but I don't know shit about what they do. I don't know if I can do it. And she said, but I believe in myself enough to know that I can. I'm going to start in August because I asked them to push this Three months later, after they wanted me to start, and they cared enough about what I brought to the table as just an individual, me personally, being able to speak to people and understand people's needs and being patient and listening and responding correctly, opposed to the jump the gun, let me just say, I'm already thinking of my next thing I'm going to say to you while you're talking People can sense that. They can read that completely. And so, I mean, it was really cool to hear her story and seeing, okay, cool. There's companies out there who who, who give a shit. I mean, I the company I'm with now, Carabiner Group, they flew me up to New York because they wanted me to meet them. They flew me back that evening too. I was able to even pick up my kids from aftercare, which is, I mean, it was real early, real, real early getting back too. And so I, I flew up to New York met with them, signed my doc sign on my phone because I thought, you know what? You guys got to know me as me first and foremost. And I've never been in an operational you know, role. I've never, I've gone from SDR to hybrid stuff to slightly AE to figuring out what it is I'm, I'm good at and what I'm not good at, you know, which is equally important. And having these ABM approaches, to a, you know, ABX, if you will, if we're going to go with this, this, uh, this crossroads, you know, little term. And it, they got to know me as me and saw what I brought to the table, what I was able to do through the relationships I've built. So in the pre-onboarding phase, if you look back to your previous jobs, 
where people didn't take that level of personal interest compared with this one. How did you show up on day one differently? I had already a lot of people that I had reached out to, to where I had said, hey, here's where I'm going. Here's my transition. And you know, sadly, and maybe not sadly too, I would say six out of 10 people said to me, I've been waiting to see this kind of transition happen. I'm so excited for you and can't wait to figure out how we can work together. Because they did not see, they saw all the value of what I could do and brought to the table. They did not, I was in a transactional sales role before and selling a product versus service, which is totally two different realms. But the the product aspect, it was where the reputation was not always the most promising and people strayed away from that. So I would hear from people I really admired and looked up to and absorb their content and just their wisdom. I would jump on calls with them just to learn from them. And you'd be surprised how many people give their time when you are an honest to God, good human who just wants to learn and better themselves. Well, uh, I, I've definitely noticed that. I mean, the generosity that people have shown me over the years, yeah. just because I've reached out and asked for help has blown me away. And that yeah. there almost isn't a day where someone isn't helping me through my network. And it's blissful. It absolutely is. But that's the power of building that network. And that's so missed. But it's also not taught. There are organizations like OMG Group that says specifically that salespeople who believe in building the relationship are poor performers whereas the ones who don't believe in building the relationship tend to be top performers. What would you say to their evidence? Bullshit. Bullshit, because that's not true. Great. Good for you if you want to have that close-minded view of things. But there's certain people who have certain characteristics who make them better with the relationship-driven aspect of selling. There's other people who want to just go, 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 go. Great. Good for you. But check yourself in a year and see if those people are going to stick with you. See if they're going to come back. I would love to see what that is. Honestly, I would love to see what the ratio is of those who have the churn and who don't after a year of who had a smaller pipeline, more focused on building these relationships with champions within who are going with them up the chain of command to sell who they built that, you know, let's 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 link arms and let's go up and skip up the hill and whatnot <laughs> to those who just decide, hey, we're going to just go as hard and as fast as we can. And we're going to make as much money as we can, as quick as we can. We're like I said, we're going to throw a bunch of reps in and we're going to call it growth. Again, customers have to pick up on this. If the culture is hustle culture, yeah. you project out. Uh, and you know, people pick up on it because you know when you're being pressured. And yeah. uh, unless you are one of the 2 3% that is in the market to buy that thing at that moment, then the right. rest of your effort, the 97% is wasted. And to my mind, that strikes me as a, a, an unholy sin to waste yeah. that amount of effort of all the people on your, certainly your SDR team, and to a large extent, your AEs as well, when you're spending so much money and then you just run out of cash, you don't have to be an arsehole to lead well. Uh-huh. 
Absolutely. But that go, you know, you don't have to be driving the best cars, making videos in your cars, telling people they need to be Googling the billionaires of the world every morning. If you're not, you're, you, sh- you shouldn't even be a salesperson, which I've heard before, which I thought, dear God, this is these, some of these kids are fresh out of college. You think their minds are gone? I need to Google it first thing in the morning who the top billionaires are? I don't think so. They just need to have the roots pour, you know, have this water poured into these roots that they're trying to establish within this soil of this company. And people don't know how to water those roots well. They don't know how to pour into their people. I'm I'm such an advocate for these bootstrap companies who are smaller, doing the smaller things, making the bigger impact and the bigger splash at the end of the day, opposed to these hyper growth throw as many people in as we can. And then let's find the people who perform the best for say three months, six months, put them in leadership, but let's not give them any of the resources to lead well. Let's not give them the the tools that say, hey, this is how often you should actually have one-on-ones with your, with your team. This is what you should have conversations about. Okay, how did they react? This goes back to the EQ, IQ, you know, how did they react? How did they, what was their body language like? You know, you don't have to be, you don't have to know all of these things. It's just kind of common sense. Figure out what it is, how people are best coached, how they best learn, what isn't working, what is working, praise where you can, construct where you can, you know, pivot where you need be, but have the conversations the right way. So how do you make space to coach when most coaching is based on a grow model? Uh, which is, it tends to require more time. Managers need to be able to coach operationally on the job in the moment at the point of need. And it's a quick and dirty type of coaching. It's two, three minutes, you know, three, four questions, and then, you know, they, they go off on their way. How did you learn to coach like that? I have never said yes to any opportunity that has come my way of leading a team. Because I don't feel as though it would ever have been in my best interest or anyone else's best interest because my time would not have been dedicated enough to these people. So I think the let's say yes, because that's going to push me up the ladder of where I want to go in these growth model companies, people will say yes to that because leaders above them are saying, this is where we want you to go. People don't leverage the power of no enough knowing that they're not going to benefit themselves or others if they go into this kind of, I'm going to help lead and coach people. I'm, I do that, but on my own accord, without it being those within a company that I'm with or that I was previously with, where I could have had a team of, you know, 10 people that I'm, I'm, taken care of every day while also trying to meet my quota while doing X, Y, Z, you know. Right, well, that, that then raises that other really important question. Is it ever possible for a player manager to be successful at both and be effective at both? With the right communication, I think so, yes. I think smaller teams have to be had. There has to be the right people. And you have to figure out who who meshes well, who clicks with who, who works well together. Also, who takes the right the the feedback in the way that you approach it in the very best way. You know, if you if somebody is gonna go hunger down in a corner because you did a little wrist slap, 
then learn how to deal with that person the right way. And they're probably not fit for sales. Let's just point <laughs> out the obvious on that. Uh, but, you know, I, I go back in time. I think of my my high school basketball coach. He's my mentor to this day still. And he just learned me. He learned how I worked, how I was best approached in specific scenarios, you know, into the game, whatever. We got to go make this shot, Amelia, whatever. But it would be this like, you can do it. Let me instill power in you kind of thing. And that's where my mindset goes of I can do anything I say I'm going to do if I visualize what it is. So there's there has to be the understanding of how other people work, learning people, getting people, realizing they're humans and they're people and you can't just be like, go do this, boom, you're not robots. People aren't robots. And again, this is really interesting because what I see in so many managers is they have a command and control approach to their management style, which creates dependency. Now, the problem with having dependent uh, team members is that you'll typically become a bottleneck. As they delegate up, you then get overwhelmed and run ragged. And then what tends to happen is you create the conditions to hold people back, slow things down. Now, if you become a little bit more self-aware, your performance over time may improve and you'll move into a challenge phase because the awareness has forced you to look at the changes going on and what needs to be changed and makes you ask questions. Where does that time, where does that time come in? Is, you know, going back to your question, what do you, I mean, it, it is interesting because they're the hyper growth and they want these, these managers and leaders to lead a group of people, where do they have the time to learn how to manage and coach and do well with it? And you've you've hit one of the most important nails on the head there, which is that m- most managers are, are um, uh, around half of the managers in the UK are accidental managers. They woke up yeah. one morning, someone tapped them on the shoulder and told them, Amelia, we fired your idiot boss. You're now the idiot boss. Congratulations. You go, yay. <laughs> and then you think, what the fuck do I do now? And that, that's your runway. So I think there is a really strong case for a management apprenticeship. As managers, if you're hiring, you need to establish those people who want to move into management and you start them on day one on that runway so that they start coaching, onboarding, training, get them into interviews, get them running sales meetings, get them forecasting, get them planning, training. All of that stuff. So they've got 18 take courses, right? There's a plethora of courses you can go take how to be a better leader yeah. and how to lead people. Put your people in those. It's not going to take, it's going to be for the betterment of the company as a whole. But that's not the that's not the mindset from the top of the funnel. The top of the funnel is looking at what's the revenue look like? How much money are you guys bringing in? Are you bringing in money? If you're not, you're gone. But this is really interesting because. There is so much confusion. We, we hear all the time from uh, venture and private equity that uh, we're meant to be following Milton Friedman's, um, you know, everyone's uh, sort of shareholder value. But I don't know a single person who is motivated by making their shareholders rich. I have no clue. The only thing that people are motivated by is, well, it's more of a scare thing. I got to look attractive to my shareholders. I've got to look attractive to what I bring to the table so I'm scared. So I'm going to just do, I'm going to go kind of rogue on this. Okay. But, and, uh, yeah. but again, 
where is the sense in this? Because if you create a constant steady stream of adrenaline and cortisol floating through your salespeople's systems, they are less likely to think rationally and more likely to think with their lizard brain. They're going to be reactive, which means that they're more likely to discount, to panic, to say stupid things, uh, to not prepare, to perform piss poorly in front of customers. So why would you continue to do this and be complicit in propagating what clearly doesn't work for the many, it works for the few. It's really good at working for the few if you for have few. no scruples. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you a quick little story. So I had, I had a guy call me, I actually had two guys call me on the same day. It was the end of April. They called me and they were from the same company, selling the same product. I just was in their dialer. So they both ended up calling me. One of them clearly did not click the right thing of like, well, this isn't our right person, whatever their button is. And so I, I pick up the phone. I see who's calling. I pick up and I listen to this pitch and I think, God almighty, this is bad. But I thought you have not, this is a massive company too. I thought this guy has not had his any kind of training on what to do how to talk to people, how to listen and respond, because I gave him very clear, 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 clear ways in. So I said, I said, do you have any questions for me? Before he, and he said, what do you mean? And I said, do you have any questions at all? And he said, I don't think so. And I said, do you want me to one, take 15 minutes so you can meet your quota because I guarantee you're behind and take a little meeting for you just to give you a boost? Or two, do you want me to take 10 minutes out of my time and help you be a better SDR? I said, you got to pick one of the two because you can't keep thriving. You're not going to thrive doing this at all. Mm-hmm. He goes, I would love that. So I, I sat down, had my phone, I'm talking to this kid and I hear him just scribbling in the background. He's just taking notes. And I just thought, God, no one's poured into you. This kid, no one's poured into him. Second guy, same thing. So 20 minutes out of my day just to help people be better at what they do. It's not as though I'm necessarily gaining anything from that, but I don't know what ROI comes back from that in the future, from simply helping. But there's the protection of your time too, right? I can say with uh, from experience that the stuff that you do put out will come back. Not necessarily as you expect it, but I'm having people come back to me uh, 10, 12, 14, 17 years later, referring back to a moment, a conversation that we had where I stopped one fantastic business owner from inflicting himself as a life coach on the rest of the world. And thank God he followed that advice because he produced a brilliant business and you know, he's putting uh, food on tables of 200 people. So it, it is worth doing. What, what, I'm re- what I'm really curious about is as I look at the kind of blind spots you're touching on from leadership and management, it seems that a lot of old school management, which th- thankfully is coming to the end of their shelf life, yeah. is very much of the opinion that you come to work to do a job and that's what we pay you for. And that's the extent of their duty of care. And you're a resource to be exploited. Now, I don't think it's unreasonable or entitled for someone to come to work and expect that their employer will provide a safe environment 
where they don't feel threatened, where they don't feel that they're being treated unjustly, where their manager is dedicated to and committed to helping them achieve their full potential, where their co-workers... Shame on those people. Shame on them. Honestly. I mean, no, I'm, I'm kidding because what in the world? That is the... That's, who thinks in the inverse, you know, who's thinking of this is so in you're right. It could, it very much so can be this old school way of doing things. You come in, you clock in, you, you do your job, boom, you're done. I don't have to feed, you know, I, you can feed yourself because I'm giving you money to do so because you're in my business. It's not, let me pour into my people to make you better humans. Well, the evidence is very clear. When you have highly engaged staff, they produce four, 500% higher profit per employee. 120% higher revenue per employee, 40% lower churn. In this economy, if you're not hanging on to your people, you are an idiot, unless you want those people to go, of course. Um, it, it, uh, a 20% higher daily production. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's, it blows my mind. Annual compound share price growth in the S&P 500 was 316% higher year on year than the other uh, companies where they had low levels of engagement uh, with it or average to low levels of engagement within their staff. Now, it strikes me that the single biggest catalyst for change is fixing that middle management layer. So I'm curious, how come there is so little invested in them? Because they're... I feel like they are very much so in the shadows. There's the SVP of sales. There's the other leaders within who are over, they're over top of them. So where these leaders right underneath, who are actually the shepherds for these people who are guiding them to this promised land of hope and all the things, the OTE water, right? They're they're trying to guide them there, but they don't have the right, right ways to go about doing it. I think they're just, they're time consuming. People don't want to take the time to invest in that middle tier. Why? That's a great question. Well, they're also the single biggest obstacle to your revenue operations seeing uh, exponential growth. <laughs> Because in my experience of dealing with managers over the last 20, 30 years is that they make or break a team. I was chatting to my pal, Simon Bowen, and he was heavily involved with the Australian hockey team. And the coach, a guy whose name escapes me, but it'll come to me in a minute. He only lost three, his, uh, uh, Rick Charlesworth, his name is. They only lost three games in the 10 years uh, that he was the manager. And they won three Olympic golds, they won championships that, and whatever. But uh, in all that time, they won, they lost three games. And then he left. Wow. That says a lot to what he poured into his people. But I, I think that goes into, I'm going to learn on my own too. Where does the personal accountability come in? Uh, okay, if I'm in this manager role, if I'm not being invested in, one, either I go find a company that's going to invest in me, or two, I'm going to keep myself personally accountable for what it is that I'm supposed to be doing and should be doing and can do. Because I said yes, 
whether it was by happenstance, circumstance, accidental, just leadership roles that appear, but you're there. So invest in yourself because it might not show this immediate ROI, but like we're saying, it's it all comes back around. Well, a good bit of advice. If you are a junior salesperson, so an SDR or a junior AE, invest in management leadership literature and courses because then you will better understand what your bosses are trying to accomplish. And the closer you can align what you're doing to their objectives, the less likely you are to get friction from them. A lot of what you need to learn in the workplace is about how to manage your colleagues and manage up. So the the middle management layer represents both an enormous uh, latent potential because if you can free up middle management and move them away from this command and control type of management style and really focus on the inquiry-led operational coaching where they're coaching in the moment based on what they see on the job at the point of need in the real world. None of this kumbaya cuddles and you know, kaftan yeah. and whatever. It's quick and dirty. It's the stuff that we need in the real world when uh, you see a salesperson choke when they're talking about money or a price increase or an introduction mm-hmm. of a new range or dealing with a difficult customer. You need to be able to give them that help in the moment, not two weeks later uh, when they've forgotten what it felt like. Right, because that's the fear that they have right then and there, these salespeople. You know, I don't know what to say or I don't know what to do. Great, you talk about it right afterwards because you've got that person right there. Um, I don't think companies have people who are surely there to coach and lead, which I don't know why. Because it's that soft, fluffy shit and we're not bringing people to work in a fucking holiday camp mentality. It's idiotic. Because what we, what we know is that with one hour a week of ongoing coaching, uh, actually, it's, I think it's three hours a month of ongoing coaching, reinforcing training, training delivers a 36x higher return on investment. than If, if people you, know that, why aren't they doing it? Because they do training because it's a tick in the box exercise. They don't train people because they want performance to improve. They train people because they want to check a box that says we've done training. We look good. Here's your, this is, here's our glitter and gold and you should join us because we're growing and look what you get. You get training. You get, you get that. No, you don't. That is rolling a turd in glitter. You can't polish one. The problem is that the emphasis is on the wrong things. I, I keep saying mm-hmm. time and again, the emphasis is on symptoms, not causes. The emphasis is on um, the stuff that matters the least, which is the exit, and what matters the most, which is looking after your customers, your employees, your partners, your community, the planet, heaven forbid, and yeah. actually giving a damn about yep. your customers' outcomes and not just seeing them as a, an organic ATM machine. That's what a lot of these hyper growth companies see. And they, I find these companies all the time to where I'm having conversations daily with these C-suite level people, but I'm also making time to build the relationship with that middle tier because they know what's going on really at this ground level. My people don't have the right resources. We've got six different tools that we don't even know how to use them because no one taught us how. 
you know, the operational things that have to be figured out, or we don't have any, we put everything in Excel sheets because we don't know how to use Salesforce. The basic things that salespeople need to be able to have those tools to be able to thrive and do better. But they also, there's those aspects, the tangible things, and there's the intangible of the right human being pouring into them and giving them the words and the affirmation and the coaching and the slap on the wrist or the pivot here. Let me turn your shoulders physically. Let's look this way opposed to this way. Let's think in a different way. A lot of people have this. Leaders say we think this way. Leaders say we're going to do this. C-suite says we're doing this. We should be doing that. No, why? Why? Is my question. Why do we have to think that way? And I've always challenged that. And I think that's why I'm where I'm at today because I, at my previous role, I challenged a lot of things subconsciously, really, because I saw so many gaps. Well, I mean, there's an awful lot wrong, but what can we do to make it better? If you were starting with a blank sheet of paper, and you were designing the man, the management function and the management layer. What would you do differently in that design, and how would you make their their lives better and easier? Gosh, if it were from scratch, it would be let's reevaluate who's leading this whole thing. Let's make sure that whoever's going to lead this thing, and we're going to become this unicorn, and so on and so forth. That your values match to their values. Let's have a value match, a little competition first to see. And then let's also do a little trial. Give people this trial almost of like, hey, this works or this doesn't work because you say one thing and you do the total opposite. Yeah, there is quite a lot of that going on, isn't there? There really is. And I, it is, uh, you know, we could go on and on about the, the faults, right? Like you just said, but it there has to be, be a change. Nothing changes till something changes. And if you want things to change, you got to invest in your people. Right. So, but let's, let's get down to the practicalities of it. If you had um, the opportunity and you knew you couldn't fail, but you were going to design this perfect middle management ramp up uh, layer, if you like, what would you do differently that as uh, an SDR, you looked on in horror uh, mm-hmm. The things that were being done and the stuff that your managers do know better were complicit in. Because I'd love right. to see what that, you know, that better future looks like. That's a, um, a very interesting way to put it, but it is so true that they were just very, they were complacent. They let it be. They didn't yeah. initiate the changes that needed to be done, even if they saw the red flags everywhere. Because I think that goes to the leadership says we do this and I'm going to look good for them and do what they say. So I know there's not this whole fluff thing that you need to bring in. I think a coach is everything but fluff. Yeah. I think that's everything but. If I were to start things from scratch, I can just erase it all. One, I would implement a coaching system, something, or have a certain amount that goes towards that middle tier management that is invested in those people where they have that be part of their quota, where they have to go and get whatever it is certification saying, I completed this, but I went through these courses to be better for the organization as a whole, for the people as a whole, because that's what matters people at the end of the day. So I, that would be one big thing that I think that I 
not com- companies aren't necessarily doing that. And is that the right way to do it? I don't know. But in my mind, I just think that's something so highly missed that there has to be people who know how to coach. So teach those who are in a coaching position and a manager position. So bring someone in who can navigate these people who are just hands up in the air, rogue, running around, not knowing where to go, what to do, pouring advice into people that might be where they're completely turned off forever in all ways, shapes, and forms of sales, of not understanding that what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, where they go and do a SWOT analysis, go figure out what it is that you are good at, what you like to do, what you don't like to do, break it down and figure out who you are. But people don't think that way. So there's, there's got to be the coaches and the mentors and the people who are in these manager positions, giving these resources to their people saying, do this, let's figure it out together because I'm going to be with you and alongside you. You're not by yourself figuring this out. So Mm. it really is very interesting because the um, level of isolation that a lot of managers feel because they don't get the support from above and they're feeling the pressure from below because they know that they're wanting, but they don't know what to do. And that often makes them very brittle. And it's such a shame because you end up losing a perfectly good manager uh, or perfectly good salesperson, promoting them into management, and you end up with a double whammy. Mm -hmm. And then you end up creating flight risks for the people that they end up managing. And in this economy, you cannot afford to be creating flight risks. And there there is a methodology called STAR, which was developed specifically uh, Mm -hmm. for managers to deliver on-the-job operational coaching. And that's now being turned into software so they can deliver that at scale to thousands of people simultaneously. It's brilliant. So I'm very excited about what potential there is there, particularly when you combine it with very clever mental models to explain the uh, the level of complexity that your teams are facing and create an opportunity for them to practice uh, the skills that they're being coached on. Really excited for a lot of small businesses now that are going to bypass a lot of that bureaucracy from corporate Um, because there are a lot of people in Gen Z and millennial uh, generations that are leaving and they're saying, you know, enough is enough. Sick of working for the they're man. They're smarter than it. They're be, they're they've got so many resources right now to where they're smarter than what they're being told. To where they're reading the bullshit, and it's becoming very evident. And they've got people who are saying, "Hey, check this out. This is way better over here." When you don't have this hyper growth kind of thing, not against it, but do it the right way. But again, is hyper growth what you really want? Or do you want to build a really rock solid, sustainable business that has intrinsic value and that will be around in 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 50 years time because you built it right in the first place. But most people are just like property developers who come in to flip a piece of land uh, and get in and out. Well, it's the cookie cutter neighborhood you go into, right? Where you get to pick like five different styles of homes and that's who you get to, that's what you are, right? This, you can be one of these five things and that's it. And you don't get to design anything else. This is how, yeah. this is your cookie cutter box. You stay you in your box. carpet color. <laughs> right. And that's about it, right? But like the hardwood floors, they're going to tell you what you're going to be walking on because ultimately we're going to do this whole analogy kind of thing. That's your foundation. So they're ultimately deciding your fate and how you're going to do things if you don't try to figure things out on your own 
one, you're in the wrong company if that's what you're having to do. I'm sorry, humans, through that. Yeah. But it also is the trial of figuring that out and learning that you have to look out for number one, being yourself and figuring out is, do I align with this company well or do I not? Do my visions, my goals, my aspirations, my values align with what they say and do? Huh. If not, you're not there. You're not ignoring you need the place you need to be. You know, I, I'm in the place where I'm at right now with Carabiner and it's really cool. We are bootstrapped completely, very much so cash flow positive. We have a box, a suite at the SAP Center in San Jose that was a lot of our marketing budget that we decided let's get deeper into really building relationships because that's where it's at. And let's have people and let's let's be partners with Pavilion. Let's have these really solid partnerships that we trust these people. And let's hire really good humans who know the skills, but also have the the life skills that are going to make them good, that are they're teachable, they're coachable. I mean, we have a Navy SEAL who is starting in June, who he had to take about three months. He left and now he's ending this three-month little stint of time where they're making him just kind of be on pause and breathe after, you know, mm-hmm. being in the Navy. And so he'll start with us in June. Never done sales before in his life. Never. But the way his mind works is so extraordinary because he's been in these situations where he had to think really strategically on his feet, report to people, lead people, and operationally say, this is the guide that we're going to do. This is the route we're going to take. And it's cool that that's a hire that we made because of the core values and the things that he brings to the table. He's going to be a killer. He's literally going to be a rock star. Again, this is really interesting. And uh, unfortunately, we've, we've hit the top of the hour, but I'm really, really very curious about uh, one final thing, which is uh, I have a fundamental belief that salespeople should be intelligently lazy. We know when to put the effort in. We know when yeah. uh, we should be reaping the benefit of the early, early work. And uh, in the military, Carl von Clausewitz, who um, uh, wrote a book called On War, which is the mm-hmm. uh, Bible for most military establishments, uh, used to hire uh, officers for the same reason. So minimum effort, minimum loss of life. Yeah. And, yep. um, salespeople, I, the, the hard work you can get out of people, but the hard work with really deep thinking, that's yep. something that is missing. And uh, what I'd like to do is explore that in another episode and maybe get a few uh, of the next generations of sales and business leaders yeah. uh, on. That as would a be. Really interesting to that'd be a great conversation to hear the perspectives and the mindsets of those who aren't thinking the way I'm thinking or you're thinking or just a different generational gap. You know, of, this is well, this is how things go. Or confusion of why would you think that way? I would love to have that conversation in just a intelligent debate. Okay, so for the audience then, would you be interested in maybe if we hosted a LinkedIn Live every month or every couple of weeks, taking a current big topic and a question and have lots of people come at it uh, and answer it from their different perspectives? If you would, then please comment 
somewhere either on LinkedIn or uh, on Podbean or Apple, wherever uh, you leave comments. Um, but just let me know uh, to see if that's something that you'd like to do, because it's an idea that I've been toying with. And uh, I think this could be a really good way to kick it off. Amelia, thank you so much. Tell me this, you've got a golden ticket and you could go back the two or three years to uh, speak to the idiot Amelia, age 20. <laughs> um, and what, what one bit of advice would you whisper in her ear? If you're not being served at the table, at the seat, the seat that you're sitting at, where you're, you're push your chair in, all of that. If you don't see that you're being served or in a, in a figurative level, figuratively way, or just honest God, this money coming in, right? Like if you're actually reaping the benefits of what you're bringing to the table, if you're not being served back, get up and move your chair. There's so many tables out there. There's so many. Really, one of the things I really love about your generations is that you just don't take this shit anymore. And I don't take shit for any, I don't, I won't take shit. I won't do it. <laughs> but I, I was, I was talking to uh, someone else and he was saying that the US military is having a real problem because Gen Z's just won't take the shit. They won't take the shit. And they're standing up for what they believe in. And I think it's amazing, but it also is scary. But it's, it's, there's pros and cons. That's a whole nother topic too. Lordy Lord. Okay. (laughs) Um, What would you recommend people read, watch, or listen to? Green Lights, Matthew McConaughey. Fabulous book. Love it. The audio version is fabulous. The audio version is amazing. I would highly, highly, highly recommend it. Absolutely. I couldn't recommend it highly enough. Um, and how can people get a hold of you? Shoot me a LinkedIn message. My Calendly also is in my about section. Reach out. I have 15 minute coffee chats, block off time. I would love to learn who's listening, who is looking for guidance, help, or how they think that they can help me. Vice versa. It goes both ways. If you think that there's something that you can do that could benefit me, or if I can benefit you, let's chat. I would love that. Excellent. Amelia Taylor, thank you. Thank you, Marcus. This is a joy. So this is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you've enjoyed this, then please like, comment, share, and tag someone who would benefit. And in the meantime, if you feel the urge, then whip across to Apple Podcasts and leave an honest review. And if you want to get in touch with me, Marcus at laughs In the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.